Welcome back to Masters and Founders. I'm excited to share this week's episode with you all. I had the opportunity to chat with John Arrow, co-founder of Mutual Mobile. John is constantly thinking of ways to improve business and innovate industries. Starting his company at just 22 years of age, John has taken his young entrepreneurial spirit to unbelievable heights. John is someone who can see a gap in the market and make something happen. Let's jump right in and hear how John got his start and where he wants to go in the future. I'm here with John Arrow from Mutual Mobile. I'm really excited about this conversation. Thanks for being with us. Dan, really happy to join you. Thanks for coming by our office. I love this place. I was just telling you how wonderful and beautiful this is. So those that can't see it, we do have it the video on Masters and Founders Facebook group, so you can watch this. But we have, we're sitting in front of a beautiful day, right almost close to street parking, so you'll hear some, so a little bit of uh, road noise, but it's beautiful. I am excited about this. We have uh, had a couple of conversations. I'm really excited about your story and what we can share with the audience about how your, your, your path and what you've done. So will you tell the audience just to start with um, a little bit about Mutual Mobile and, and, and then we'll jump into your story. So, sounds great. Again, really happy to join, um, listen to the other podcasts and happy to be a part of this. So Mutual Mobile is essentially an emerging technologies company that figures out how to help the Fortune 1000 generate either more revenue or save save costs. And we focus on really high stakes problems. So we've worked with Google, we've worked with Ford, we've worked with Nike on bringing in technology like mobile, or virtual reality, or Internet of Things and doing something uh, amazing with it. We have about 200 people right now and, and they're some of the brightest uh, in the industry as it relates to emerging technology. Really cool. How, long, how old is Mutual Mobile? We're coming up on our 10 year anniversary wow. soon, so we're nine, but in next April will be 10. Congratulations. Thank you. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to becoming the founder. As you know, Masters and Founders is all about people that have Masters, anyone that's got 10,000 hours of, in their craft following their passion, a founder is someone who started a company, and you're one of both. So let's talk about that. Where did it start for you? So it started at the University of Texas, and I got the job the old-fashioned way. I was the, I was the only person in the room at the time. And um, so, kind of started the started the company by myself, and uh, and you know very quickly found um, some amazing co-founders at the at the university. We were all involved in aviation, and uh, I got my pilot's license as a freshman at UT. I met um, I met my co-founders there, and we we kicked it off. And it was something where in the early days of the company, we were splitting our time between classes and uh, building building the organization. Wow, wow. So. When did you know that you wanted to start a company? Is it right in college? You're like, I'm just going to do this. There's no, uh, I want to go get a job thought process. That's a great question. I, it's something that some of my earliest memories uh, involve wanting to work for myself. So growing up, I was that, um, I was that kid going door to door trying to sell different knickknacks and trying to, in the Austin hot summer, selling lemonade on the street corners. In the winter, I would have a hot chocolate stand. And so as early as I can remember, I was um, kind of had this entrepreneurial streak in me, and it's funny. I, I it was one of those things that probably drove my parents a bit crazy. I have this vivid memory of being eight or nine years old, and we would always go and try to sell our neighbors, our elderly neighbors, um, whatever it was that day that we had thought of. And they would all they were this super sweet, nice couple, and they were they would buy it from us. Um, one day, 
I remember going door to door with my best friend and we had found these plants. We lived on a green belt growing up and we found these beautiful plants and we said surely they would like to buy them. So we rung the doorbell. Um, they both answered together, I still remember this, and they looked at the plants and they just shook their head, no, we don't want to buy these plants. And I thought that was kind of strange. So um, being an eight, eight year old, we, we went back to doing what we were doing before and started playing. Later that afternoon, I hear my mom, you know, kind of, kind of in a, almost an angrily or frustrated voice call me in and say, why did you dig up our neighbor's plants and try to sell them back to them? And so I didn't make that connection that they were their plants. Uh, <laughs> but this was a recurring theme that early on, I, I realized that it was amazing when you can come up with an idea and, and you're self-reliant on executing it. And so I got involved in, in the internet during the dot-com boom. I was 11 or 12 then, but kind of realized what, what you could do then. And so would do different experiments. And um, when mobile happened, I realized it was going to be like the, the dot-com boom again, but wanted to figure out how to build a sustainable company versus something that was just living in the limelight. And when that mobile happened, was that you were in college. You were like, this right. is the thing I want to chase. Exactly. 2007 is when Apple, when Steve Jobs first announced the iPhone. Mm -hmm. 2008 it shipped. 2009 is when the App Store happened. And so uh, I have this vivid memory of sitting in a dorm room and, and watching the recorded video of Jobs announcing the iPhone and realizing, wow, this was going to fundamentally change the way that the world worked. And a lot of people at that time realized this was going to be a significant device. I think what made myself and my co-founders really stand up and take notice is that we saw it as this inflection point that was as significant as the TV or the internet or, or the wheel. That ever, The world was going to be different afterwards. Oh, wow. So you had that thought like this is going to change the world and I need to be part of that. And, and that was that was really that was kind of really the catalyst was wow this is going to change the world I want to be a part of fostering that and figuring out how we can accelerate that faster and, and, and you know we didn't we didn't know what we didn't know at the time mm -hmm. we just knew that wow this was going to be incredible we wanted to be a part of it what were you studying in school was it technology or were you studying other things I took a buffet of courses at UT and switched my major many times so I started as an economics major I switched to advertising got some computer science in there as well and even some sociology, and I left one, one, one course shy of a degree, uh, I believe, in sociology. Nice. Yes. Nice. But I'm pretty sure my parents think I graduated, so. <laughs> well, we won't tell. We won't tell. <laughs> I like that. So, the, tell me about the, the people that you worked, well, before, let me, I've got so many questions, and I'm going to start over. Sure. Your first app. Because you were talking to me about that, I thought it was pretty fascinating. Well, I, lo I love talking about this one. Um, it's, it's funny, though, just taking a step back. The reason that I really wanted to start the company was it was a selfish reason. I wanted to find other people that were passionate about that technology, and so we needed something for everybody to rally around. And then going back to the first app, we knew that the company we wanted to build was going to be about kind of solving these high-stake problems. We didn't want to just throw software in the store and see what happened. So kind of the funny, funny thing that we did as a first project together was this application called Hangtime. And so Hangtime used the accelerometer in your phone to figure out how high you threw your first iPhone. And this was something that, uh, it's as ridiculous as it sounds. The thing that made it even more ridiculous was we made a leaderboard so you could track to see who threw their phone the highest. And now, this was not some, some amazing design feat. This wasn't, this wasn't 
brilliant engineering. The reason that it was successful was because there were less than 100 apps in the App Store. Today, there's about 2 million apps in the store. Wow. We did it when there were about 100. And okay. there wasn't much to buy. And so if you got your fancy new iPhone from the Apple Store, uh, the first thing that you did was you browsed the App Store and you said, what says hang time? And we mm -hmm. sold it for 99 cents. And before we knew it, we had uh, tens of thousands of people downloading it and using it. And this leaderboard kept rising. So we'd see it go from about a half second to, to 1.1 seconds. And you know, the funny, funny thing I like to, uh, you know, to show is like, I mean, this is a pretty high throw that I just did there in this mm -hmm. room. It didn't hit the ceiling, but it almost, that was only about 0.4, maybe 0.3 seconds. Okay. And so the people that were throwing this, they were, they were getting into it. And before we knew it, we said, okay, the scores are leveling out. Let's go work on building a real company. Nobody, nobody looked at the scores. Nobody went back there. Mm -hmm. It was, wasn't until a couple months later, we happened to check the leaderboard. And uh, there was a score for about, uh, I think it was 17 seconds or so. And get in touch with the guy, ask him how he hacked our app because we wanted to fix it. And as I was telling you earlier, um, the crazy thing about it was he said, no, I didn't hack it. I went skydiving. And then as soon as he did that, the name of the game became, you know, who could wait the longest to open their parachute. The scores kept rising. Apple pulled it from the store, and rightly so. It became dangerous at that point. It became dangerous, and it wasn't something that we wanted necessarily to be known for. It, it wasn't your intent. It was never your intent to do that. It was just, exactly. It was yeah. just a fun thing. It was a great way for my co-founders to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was named the second dumbest iPhone app of all time by Gizmodo, which is one of the awards we don't have up here at the office, but we probably should. I would. I'd display it privately. <laughs> Maybe we should. The thing, the thing. I mean, even more than the award, and even more than just kind of the, the exposure and the notoriety around it, is it is it is it made us realize, wow, it's thrilling to create something on this new platform and have people immediately be able to access it. If you think about the traditional software distribution model, mm -hmm. you would have to go down to Best Buy or to Circuit City or to Egghead and you would buy a piece of software, you put the CD in your computer and you cross your fingers and hope that maybe it would install, right? I, I have that vivid memory, and I'm sure you do too, of software being difficult to install. You would never know if it would work. Right. And then even when you could download it on the internet, it was the same thing. There was so much different uh, fragmentation and hardware, you never knew if it was going to work on your computer. So it was a real pain. With the distribution model that Apple created, it changed that all. Yeah. You could just know, if I download this, not only is it going to work, not only is it going to do what it said it was going to do, it's also going to you know, probably be pretty good because past the Apple curation of editors. So. After we did hang time, we started looking at, well, where, where could significant software really make a difference in the world? And what we were, we were talking to you about earlier is healthcare was the natural place that we started out. We realized that in 2009, when we started the company, seven times more people were dying every year due to medical errors and car accidents. Wow. And it was just this mind-boggling stat. I didn't have much exposure to healthcare, but I realized, hey, this is a significant problem. I think mobile could probably address this. Mm -hmm. And so we looked, we dove in with kind of our beginner's mind, our nascent mindset, and said, how could the iPhone specifically fix this? And we realized that the incumbent problem was this paper and pen workflow, where doctors, nurses were writing down information, and there was a lot of places for small details to get uh, messed up. And every so often, somebody would get the wrong medication or an order of magnitude more of a medication, it would kill them. And it, so unfortunate, and in my mind, so preventable too. Right. So we created this application, we found a healthcare company that wanted to partner with us on it, and created something that took that paper and pen workflow and simply moved it over to the iPhone. This is pre-iPad. 
So we launched this in some hospitals and kind of you know had our first uh, fire hose moment. We were learning about FDA approval and all that, and we got it in the hospital. And before we knew it, patients um, who were under the care of this app with their nurse or their doctor, they were having less medical errors. And it was wow. this moment that, wow, okay, this really works. We might be onto something here. And so not only that, it helped the, it helped the company too. It helped the uh, healthcare company sell a new product. So that was the gravy. And then we started looking at other high stakes problems. We went to education. We figured out how can we keep kids in school who have literacy problems mm -hmm. by creating textbooks on the iPhone and the iPad. How can we look at the financial services and figure out a way that, you know, make banking easier for people? So we started looking at it with that same mindset. How not not so much how can we necessarily drive revenue for our for our customer or help them save money? Yes, that's important. But how can we really solve some high stake problem for a user that previously technology hasn't been able to solve? Really cool. So now the question I was gonna ask you is what are some of the the, the companies you've had opportunity to work with? We've had, that's one of my, beyond, number one is working with the people. I love our employees and getting to work with just people who know way more about emerging technology than I do. That's the most thrilling thing. Uh, a close second is getting to work with these amazing companies. We've worked with the majority of the Fortune 500 on something. And so the ones that, you know, without any particular order, I mean, ones that just come to mind most recently is we worked with the founder of, uh, of Uber early on on his company, uh, StumbleUpon, bringing them to the iPad. And this was before Uber, and we were talking to Garrett Camp, who was the original chairman, and is still the chairman there. Getting access to those types of people and getting to listen to their ideas, and I remember even hearing him talk about this last mile problem before Uber existed. Yeah. And so just thinking about where it was today, and we had, this is not something that was um, that unusual. We've had this moment again and again. We got to work with, with Google in 2010 when we had more mobile engineers at Mutual Mobile than Google did, wow. which seems absolutely insane. Yeah. But at the time, you know, kind of right place, mm -hmm. um, right luck, right. and uh, you know, desire to build something great. We, we were Google's vendor of choice on building a lot of their internal applications. We built Google Wallet. We built Google Boutiques. We worked with um, them on a lot of high-stake problems. Um, one of the things that has amazed me the most about our customers. We got, we got to work with Nike on this incredible application that united skaters around the world and built out this whole community. This one time at our office, we turned our office into a skate park and invited the local skating community in Austin. Wow. And it caused a bit of damage, as you might expect, yeah, yeah, but we yeah. learned a lot from it. Um, I'd say by far one of the most, the most meaningful applications that, that to, you know, to me is we've gotten to work with, with Under Armour. We built Map My Fitness. Oh wow! Uh, and got to partner with um, with Matt My Fitness on that, and then they were acquired by Under Armour. And if you look at this every day across the world, over 200 million people log in to use a piece of technology that we built. And it's instead of about you know throwing their iPhone in the air, this time it's about going out and getting physical fitness. Mm -hmm. And you realize that people who use this application day in and day out, they live a healthier lifestyle. Yes, it helps Under Armour sell more clothes, right. but more importantly, it gets them active and they share it with their family and friends. And it's it's hard to imagine kind of the, the other positive externalities that have occurred as a result of that. I was laughing with you because the first unintentional consequence of your first app was like, oh, maybe putting lives in danger. But the rest of the time, it's like you've created this real value for other companies and helping uh, save lives in, in some of the apps. And that's really, really wonderful. One of the things that I wanted to touch on that I think is super important is, especially for our audience that's trying to build their own business and do their own thing, how do you go 
many people think, I gotta go build this, this map, I've gotta go build this business plan, I gotta go raise money, I mean, there's just this path. But yours was a little bit different. You actually didn't raise money. We didn't. It was something that was incredibly important to me. I, I grew up in Austin. I saw the trials and the tribulations of the dot-com boom and bust, and I realized I want to make a company that's profitable from day one. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of temptation along the way to look at raising money for Mutual Mobile, but I realized that if we had an investor early on, we would be splitting our effort and, and where we are focused between our investor and our customers. Right. And so we focused on letting our customers really be our investors. And that meant that we built the company that the market really wanted. Um, it wasn't always an easy thing to do. I don't think raising money is an easy thing to do either, but it forced us to be a, a different type of company than a lot of our competitors and allowed us, I think, to actually grow quicker as a result. So the process then in my, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the process then is you, you've got to go pre-sell the idea of a concept to a company and solve that problem and then have them cut you a check so you can start working on it. Is that? that that's exactly right. I mean, we, 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 every person that we hired, we, we were paying their salary no matter what, and it continues to be so today. So we need to figure out how we can build valuable things for our customers. Otherwise, um, you know, we're not going to keep growing as a business. So that was always the challenge. And there was this constant seesaw back and forth. And I think it was a healthy seesaw where we would, we would close a bunch of new customers. We would close, um, you know, I don't know, the next Google, I'm, I'm having a blank right now. We would close something with Xerox, and then we'd have to go out and hire a lot of engineers and designers, and then we would have those people, and then we'd need to go sell something else, and it allowed us to kind of seesaw back and forth really, really quickly and improve our skills and our process as a result of it. Um, it was tempting early on when we had these unsolicited offers coming in, only you know, one or two years into the company's existence, saying, hey, we don't need to see a deck, we don't need your pitch, we're ready to invest, here's a term sheet. And they would fly us, you know, they fly down to Austin and they do the, the whining and dining thing and you know, lay down a term sheet. And early on there were some pretty big numbers there for a company that was this young. And I am so thankful that we did not take that because it would have closed our options. It would have required us to be a company that we didn't want to be. So staying true to your heart and passion. Exactly. The way you want to build it. That's 100% right. That's awesome. I really love that. And I think it's so important for the audience to know that just because there are multiple ways to make things work. Mm -hmm. And there's not one or right way or another. You've got to just, the way that fits right for you. And for those out there that are bootstrapping and trying to figure things out, I look at the process the same. Whether you're knocking on doors to get money to raise for your, for your company or whether you're knocking on customers' doors and saying, hey, trust me, we're going to build this thing, you still got to do the work. Totally. And, and then build it that way. So... How big is Mutual Mobile now as far as revenue and assets and that kind of stuff just to give the audience an idea of what you've been able to sure. build from scratch? So we we're about nine years old now. We just celebrated our 200 millionth dollar revenue. So it's something that we're, we're really passionate wow. about. Congratulations. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. And it hasn't always been, a, you know, it hasn't always been an up into the right journey. There's been just like with any company, there's been some, some dips and valleys along the way as, you know, we've started to climb. The business is growing rapidly right now we're going to have one of our best quarters that we've had in the last few years so we're wow. excited about that some amazing new customers starting um, you know, under armor continues to be a great customer of ours so um, what i'm really really excited about for the company is we're starting to see the next mobile so every you know every few years um, it seems like it's increasing the cadence of these we get some new piece of emerging technology mm -hmm. that becomes a rocket ship not just for our business but for human progress and innovation and with virtual reality, with augmented reality, we're seeing that happen again.
Um, we finally got our ship date for the Magic Leap uh, glasses. They should be here soon. And so we're anticipating a lot of work on that front and getting to kind of build out that what's probably going to be bigger than mobile. Wow. I believe that. I saw your room. I just I can't wait to come in and play with that. Please do. Yeah, anytime <laughs> you want. Anyone in Austin who wants to play with virtual reality technology, come to Mutual Mobile. We'd love to have you here. I'd love to hear that. One thing I wanted to visit about or talk about to the audience is, is failures, because we talked about this mm -hmm. the other day for, for you. And you don't see failures as failures. You see failures as what? I think that they're a great kind of ground truth, right? It's very difficult, I think, when you're building a company to get unequivocal feedback that something didn't work. And mm -hmm. so we see failure here as unequivocal proof we need to go a different direction. So whenever we have a failure internally at Mutual Mobile, whether it's we didn't win a new account or we didn't hit the business objectives that we wanted to hit, we do a post-mortem. Just like when someone dies, but we do it on the opportunity, and it's this kind of, you know, take the emotion out of it, and we say, what happened? And how can we learn from that? How can we improve from that? And so one of my kind of wishes as a community in Austin and just the startup ecosystem in general is we should talk about that more because there's so many learnings from that. Mm -hmm. you, you turn to Crunchbase or any of the news, news publications, and you always see the success stories about right. when it worked well and how everybody's... Right you know, going good guns, right? Mm -hmm. It'd be just as fascinating, probably more helpful mm -hmm. to read about the times that it didn't. And yes, there's a stigma associated. Mm -hmm. I can understand why. I think if we get past that, we'll all be better as a result. I agree 100%. One of the things that, as we were discussing, purpose of the magazine is good, bad, and ugly. Mm -hmm. So I want to I be able to bring out the good, the bad, and the ugly because all that's education. Totally. Every bit of that is education. And failure, to me, is just education. It's like, okay, write that up. And the only way for anyone to grow is that change and that growth. It's like, go down that path, hit your head against the wall, <laughs> and say, okay, well, that wasn't it. Let's go this other way. But in my experience, my failures have always led, I've got so much value out of the failures that I just wouldn't change a thing for the world. Because it's like, that's where you get the experience and, and knowledge and value. I do want to bring up your age, just because I think that it's important for the audience to understand that what you've been able to accomplish in such a short time. And as if you haven't done the math, you started in 2007, you were still in college. college. So started in 2009, yeah. 2009, yeah. Right. Okay, the app store, it was 2009. Yeah. Age 31. You got it. Good, good <laughs> math. I can't, I don't know if I can do that this early in the morning. Well, you've done some incredible things. Uh, what, what's the future look like for you? As, is, are you mutual mobile? Is this it? Or are you doing other things? Or what, what do you think? So, you know, my philosophy always has been it's important to to have a lot of irons in the fire, mm -hmm. right? That it's it, as passionate as you can be about one thing, which I am about mutual mobile. I always have you know, different things going. Mutual mobile, what's really fascinating as it relates to kind of this new vector of virtual reality and augmented reality, I think it's the perfect vector to go out and be the biggest company in that space, to have the most kind of exciting opportunities. So right now, I'm heads down 100% focused on mutual mobile, but you know, I have a lot of other passions too. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm an avid pilot, I enjoy flying, so I'm, I'm, I'm always make time about once a week to go fly somewhere, mm -hmm. to keep your skills sharp. I'm looking at a lot of interesting opportunities in the um, basically autonomous drone space that could carry passengers. So that's something that's wow. fascinating mm -hmm. to me. Um, I love biotechnology and figuring out how we can eventually stop the aging process and live forever. I love that idea. I, I think it's it's almost here. It's a good thing. Wow. I, I wish I had, I don't know if I will have anything to do with it, but I, I hopefully we'll get to partake in it. Well, I definitely want to go grab a beer with you and talk more about that piece. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> <For sure>. uh, <laughs> 
Anything else you want to share with the audience? I think this has been a wonderful uh, education for them. Well, thank you. Well, I would just say I feel like going back to what you were saying about um, kind of the failures and successes, mm -hmm. let's talk about them. Let's talk about them more. Let's bring them to light. Yeah. And also, one of the things that I appreciate about this city more than probably anywhere else in the world is how accessible it is. Mm -hmm. If you go to San Francisco, yes, there's per capita way more startups, way more interest, way more companies in that density space but they're all pretty siloed. Here in Austin, everyone's accessible, so I would invite anyone who's interested, come to Mutual Mobile, play in our VR lab, let us know if we can be, be helpful in any way. That is part of the community. I've talked to so many people that, I was having a conversation, was it you that we were talking about? What, name Austin in one word, and I said community? That, I think that it was us, yeah, yeah, yeah we that, was, you and I, yeah. that was such a, yeah, spot on. Yeah, because it, it, it is exactly what Austin's about, is just reaching out, I need help with this, or I just wanna have coffee and everybody's so open and I think there's the growth and energy and just creativity that happens and just being able to be that open is unstoppable in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. I really enjoyed this and look forward to hearing more about the things that you're working on. Thank you very much. All right, take care. It's always important to talk about failure and success because that's how we learn to grow, not only as individuals, but also with any business endeavor. I'm so lucky to be here in Austin and get opportunities to reach out and talk to folks like John. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you to everyone at Founding Austin for your support. This show just continues to grow and our community is thriving. Make sure you are a member of our Facebook group. The link is in our show notes. And today, we challenge you to share the show with a friend or a loved one who you think will like our interviews. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening.